Thank you, everybody, and welcome. I'm really glad for this opportunity to come and tell you one of my favorite stories from Scripture. Uh, now, before we get into the sermon, I need to let you know that the sermon is going to be a little different from the other ones that we've heard so far in the series. And in fact, the sermon is going to be a little different, possibly, from many of the other sermons that you've heard in your life. Uh, that is because I'm going to do the sermon from the first-person perspective. That is, I'm going to tell you the story as the character, as Mephibosheth. I'm going to tell you the story. It's a method I learned when I was in seminary uh, that really pays high regards to the genre of the text, being narrative. This story in Scripture is a story, and so it's going to shape the text, and I'm going to tell it as a story. It's not just simply a dramatic monologue. It's not just acting. It's certainly not because I forgot to prepare anything. <laughs> but it really, it's going to allow us to go into the, the tensions present in the text. Really get uh, the emotional state of the characters. It's going to give us a fresh perspective uh, into the story. And so one of my uh, hopes is that something you can take away tonight is another tool with which you can study scripture. That as you go into the Old Testament that is full of narrative, that maybe you would try to step into their shoes a little bit more. You'd ask some different questions when you come to scripture so that we can understand it a little better. And so my character tonight, Mephibosheth, he's like a lot of the other unsung heroes, not mentioned very much in scripture. He really just has this one chapter of 2 Samuel chapter 9. He's mentioned briefly in a few other places. But really, when we look at his life, we'll see that he doesn't do much of anything heroic. In fact, throughout his life, he really doesn't do much of anything at all. But see, it is the story that he finds himself in, the situations that he's placed in, his relationships with the characters, that's really something significant, and I think something that really speaks to us. And so I'm going to tell you his story. But something we need to understand is that Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, chosen by God, but over his life, over his time as king, he started to drift from God, to disobey, do his own thing time and time again. And so because of that, God promised the kingdom to another, to David, who we're familiar with. But you see, this is a huge problem for Mephibosheth, because when David takes the throne, when he comes to power, it is expected that he, as any other ancient king, would wipe out the family of the previous king. You see, anyone that was related to Saul would have a claim onto the throne, they could start a rebellion, a civil war. They would threaten David's family. They would threaten his rule. And so it is normal and expected that an ancient king wipe out the family of the previous king. So keep that in mind as we hear his story. I'm going to turn around now, and when I come back to face you, I'll be speaking to you as Mephibosheth. 
Oh, welcome, welcome, come, come. I know all of you must have traveled far to meet with the king. And now the king is, is busy at the moment, but don't worry, he, he's coming soon. In the meantime, I am here to, to keep you company while you wait. Now I know, I know what you're all thinking, that it is odd to be greeted by a cripple in the palace of the king. <laughs> but I tell you, that's not the oddest thing about my story. It'd be much more odd if you knew who I was. You see, my name is Mophibosheth. I am the son of Jonathan, son of Saul. Yes, that's right. King Saul, who ruled before David. Now I know what you're thinking. Surely this can't be Mophibosheth. He can't be a relative to Saul. He would be a dead man. He is a challenger to the throne, a threat to David's rule. And yet here he is in the palace. But I tell you, that I am a loyal, beloved servant of the king. And so while we wait for him, let me tell you my story. And with it, you can learn more about our king, but most of all, of our God. You see, I know that many of you know David. You know of his great victories, his great acts. Maybe you've read some of his writings, his poetry, and perhaps you even heard his songs as you came in to his throne room. But for now, I want you to forget that. Just imagine that he is a man like any other man who in a time of political instability rose up to take the throne, to take it from my family. You see, that is the man that I thought that he was, a man that would be coming after me, a man who was met to kill me. That's who David was to me. You see, when I was a boy, perhaps five years old, my father, Jonathan, and his father, Saul, rode out into battle against the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. But they fell in that battle, which paved the way for David to take the throne. Now, I was too young to understand what this meant that I was from that point on a dead man walking, to be hunted down by the king, to be killed, to be dealt with. But my nurse, Nafal, she knew the trouble that was coming. She knew that the king's men would soon be after us. And so she took me as a child. She ran out of the house. She couldn't stop for anything. She just held me, clutched me in her arms to protect me, to keep me safe. She ran and ran in fear of the king. It was a dark and starless night. She was running so fast that she did not see the root that had grown out into the path. And so she tripped and fell, clutching me still in her arms. She fell upon me, her weight landing on my legs, crushing my feet. I screamed and cried in pain, but she just picked me up and kept on running. She knew that there was a far worse fate that would be waiting for me if she stopped. She couldn't stop to check on my wounds, to bind them, and so I was left a cripple for life. And she ran and ran until we came to a place called Lo Debar, or as you might call it, the land of nothing. It was a barren land, empty, poor for crops and animals. Fitting, I always thought growing up, for me, the land of nothing, for the outcast exiled, on the run, crippled man that I was, fitting. 
we came upon a house, the house of Emil, who had the son, Mekar. They brought us in, provided for us. We, we had nothing. I could never work. I could never provide. They were kind to us. But still, I had nothing. I learned very early on that the king was after me, that he would be seeking my life. I learned to fear the king and that one day he was going to come. But you see, I wasn't the only relative of Saul left alive, no. I had an uncle. His name was Ishbosheth. After David had taken the throne, he wanted the throne for himself. So he gathered all the families and clans and tribes together that were loyal to him, and he raged a civil war for two years against David. It ravaged the country, but he failed. He was killed by his own men, betrayed. That was my family. Surely the king would hate me. Surely now more than ever, he would be seeking my life to make sure that a civil war like that would never happen again. I feared the king. Angry at him at times, sure, but mostly I, I tried to forget that he existed. I hoped that he would never find me. I knew one day he would, though. And so that is how I grew. And one day, that day that I feared, the day I tried to pretend was never coming, I came. I remember it. I was sitting in the doorpost of my home, looking out down the road. I could see a band of men, 20 or 30 maybe, coming towards the home dust coming up as they rode on their horses. I could see the sunlight gleaming from their armor, from their spears. I knew they were coming for me. I knew that David was coming for me. But what could I do, run? No. I would go. I would go to the king. And so as they got close, they got off their horses, and their commander came straight to me. He knew who I was. His name was Ziba. And he said that he had come by order of King David to take me before him. I didn't fight. I didn't run. I didn't try to lie about who I was. I went with them. I went to meet the king and to meet my fate. It was a few days' ride south to Jerusalem. Thankfully, they had brought a horse for me to ride. They were kind to me. Ziba even said that he knew my grandfather, that he had served my grandfather Saul. He knew of my father. And there was a sadness in his eyes when he spoke of them. But it was quiet most of the time. I was left alone with my thoughts. I thought of my family. I knew that my grandfather had hunted down David, betrayed him when he found out that David was to take the throne. I, I remembered my uncle who rose in civil war against the king. The king must hate my family. He must be glad to be rid of me. And the men would tell me stories of David, of his victories, his conquest, his new capital. 
Surely they must know what fate awaits me when I was to meet the king. Perhaps Ziba hated serving my family. Perhaps he was ready to be rid of me. I could feel the weight of shame and fear pressing down on me more and more as we drew closer to the capital. They would pick up the pace, but I couldn't sleep at night. I was simply afraid. I did not lift my eyes to look at the capital. When they tried to tell me of its splendor, of the spoils of wars, I could not look up. When we got into the city and they showed me the tent of the ark, I could not lift my eyes. And they brought me to the palace, sent me down on my knees before the king, but I couldn't lift my eyes. How could I face him? I just laid on my face before the king, ready for my fate. Mephibosheth, the king, called my name. Behold, I am your faithful servant. I was nothing before the king. I had nothing to offer him, and no reason as to why he should spare my life. I was a broken man. I knew that he would sentence my death. But his next words, I never expected. He looked at me and he said, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of Jonathan, your father. And I will restore to you all the lands of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. There was a kindness in his voice when he spoke to me, a kindness in his eyes. He looked to me as if he were looking at an old friend, but I couldn't understand it. I had nothing to give him, no reason that he should show any mercy to me. I was his enemy. He shouldn't have even spared my life. That's not what he was supposed to do. That's not what kings do. I didn't understand it. So I said, who is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? I didn't understand it. And the king, he... He stepped down from his throne. He walked up to me. He placed his hand on my shoulder. I became aware of how dirty I was from those days of travel, how unworthy I was as the king stepped down in all of his splendor to touch me, a broken man. He called Ziva over and instructed him that all that belonged to the house of my fathers, the land, the houses, the vineyards, the wealth, all was to be given to me. The man from nothing was to eat at the king's table as if I was one of his sons. Even Ziba himself, his family, was to serve me as they had served my grandfather. They were to provide for me, to take care of me. The king squeezed my shoulder and said, I'll see you at dinner. And he sent me from his presence. 
I was in a daze. I couldn't believe it. For days, I couldn't understand how this happened. It would have been amazing enough for him to spare my life and exile me back to nothing. But no, he restored to me all the land that was my father's, the land that was rightfully his. He gave to me part of his kingdom. And not only that, but he brought me an orphan into his family to eat at his table like a son. I asked Ziba, why? Why would he show me kindness on the sake of my family? I knew what my family had done to him. And he explained to me that my father, Jonathan, was friends with David, that they were close enough to be like brothers, that even after he knew that David was to take the throne, he was faithful and served David. He even saved David's life once. It was because of my father that David was kind to me. He even promised to take care of my father and his household. Even if my father were to die, David would be kind to his family. And David had always been kind to me and my family ever since. You see, when you think about it, my uncle, who rose in rebellion against him, would have been offered that same mercy, that same forgiveness, the same blessing that was shown to me. But he rose in rebellion against the king. He tried to fight for the power to rule, tried to assert his own rights, and it brought him ruin. But I came to the king in humility. I came to be his servant. I trusted my life into his hands, and he restored me. He doesn't take credit for any of this, of course. He gives all the credit to God, who he says has poured out more kindness and grace than he could ever show anyone else. Perhaps you've heard that in some of his writings, in some of his songs. You see, I know now that David loves God, that he fears the Lord, that is because of his love for God that he showed love to me. And God has even promised to bless David, that there would be someone from his line that would rule forever, that David would be a blessing for all nations. And sometimes now I think of what the kings will come in David's line. Perhaps there'll be one that comes that is as merciful and as great as David, and perhaps one will come from David's line that will show even a greater mercy to his enemies, even a greater kindness than this. The king that I once ran from and once feared, I now serve and love. I I know that I've taken much of your time and the hour is growing late and soon I must be going, but... I want you to know the kind of king that I serve, the kind of king that he is. I know that many of you are his loyal servants as well, eager to meet with the king, but perhaps not all of you. Perhaps some of you are like me, and you don't know the king. You're afraid. You're wanting to to hide, to turn away from him. But let me tell you, that the king, 
He is eager to meet you. He is eager to meet with his people, to bless them. And all you must do is come before him as his servants. Claim him as, his, as your king, and you can receive his blessing. I know that I have. So I really, I must be going. I've got other business that I've got to attend to. But don't worry. The king is coming soon. So this is the story of Mephibosheth, found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. That promise that David made to Jonathan, by the way, is printed in your bulletin. His story is one of my favorites in the Old Testament because it so often mirrors our own life. Because you see, just like he found himself on the way to meet a king, so we all are on the way to meet a king. A king that rules in the line of David. He's often called the son of David, but he is also called the son of man, the son of God. It is Christ who came to the world that he created lived a perfect life, died for us, shed his blood while we were his enemies so that we may become his people if we claim him as our king. You see, this is the king that we will all one day face. It's important to note in Mephibosheth's story that the kindness that he was shown wasn't because of anything that he had done, it wasn't because of anything that he could offer the king. It wasn't even really because of anything of who he was. But it was because the king is faithful to his promises and is kind and good to his people. In verse 1, David says that he wants to find someone to fulfill that promise of kindness to Jonathan's family. But if you look in verse 3, that same phrase is, is more or less repeated again. But this time he says that he wants to show kindness, the kindness of God. There's not much dialogue in this chapter, so what we have is very important. And the fact that this is repeated twice right at the beginning should really jump out to us. It's to let us know as the readers and listeners to this story that it's not simply about David and his kindness, but it is God's kindness being reflected in his anointed king, David, that God is the main mover and motivator behind all of this. It's God's kindness that shows through in this story. And it's God's kindness that we are reminded of today. Like Mephibosheth, we're on our way to meet the king. If we're his people, his servants, we're looking forward to this meeting with our king, eager to share in his blessing, his kingdom. But perhaps we're more like Mephibosheth. We don't know who the king is. We're afraid of him, hiding from him, not wanting to meet with him. Perhaps we're more like his uncle, Ishbosheth, who tried to rebel, to assert his right to rule before the king. But we are to come to the king in the example of Mephibosheth as a servant in humility, trusting him with our very life. And just as David is faithful and kind to Mephibosheth, so too is God faithful and kind to restore us, no matter what 
shame we may come with, no matter what our family history is, no matter what our history is, if we proclaim him as our king, come to him as his servants, he is faithful to forgive us. And like David, adopt us into his family to be a son and daughter of the king. Well, Phibosheth came in obedience. How will you come before the king? Will you submit to him? So we're reminded tonight, especially as we come forward to take part in communion, we are reminded of the cross where Jesus bought a people for himself, where he paid the price so that we may be restored, we may be brought into the kingdom if we call upon him as our Lord and Savior. It's for his people, his loyal servants, to come forward and partake of. We're reminded also that one day we will eat at the table of the king. We're all on our way to meet the king. Sooner or later, each and every one of us will be before the throne of King Jesus. There's no hiding from it, no running from it. We will all be before him. So now the only question is, are you coming as a loyal servant, trusting the king with your life, or are you coming to a king that you do not know, to a king that you will not bow down to? The king is eager to bless his people. How will you meet the king? I'll close this in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Lord, you are king over all of us. God, we are reminded tonight, especially of your work at the cross, where you died for us to make us your people, to restore all of those who would call upon your name, to claim you as Lord and Savior. We know that that is the only way that we can come before you, the only hope of restoration and a share of the kingdom is through you and your work. So God, I ask that you teach us every day more and more of your kindness, that you draw us in to be loving and obedient servants to you. And if there's anyone here that is listening that does not know you, that is trying to run and hide, that they may go forward to you tonight in humility and service and claim you is their king. It's in your glorious, wonderful name that we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.